You are listening to the Wickenburg Pulpit, the preaching ministry of First Southern Baptist Church of Wickenburg, Arizona, where we seek to be faithful to Scripture and relevant to life. Christmas. Uh, we are uh, going to be diving into Isaiah chapter 7, but before we do that, uh, again, we're highlighting a foreign missionary, especially this time of year, Lottie Moon. In fact, uh, I, I get my, my weekly uh, prayer emphasis from uh, the Arizona Mission Network of Southern Baptist website, and uh, thankfully it lines up with our prayer guide today um, for, for day one. So, um, but again, looking at the fact that there are 4.6 billion people who are yet considered unreached, and 173,451 die who are lost without Christ. I mean, that ought to make us pause for a moment. That people who don't know the Lord will perish without Christ. 7,225 unreached people groups. But it's not all bad news. IMB missionaries are in 122 countries. Uh, in, in 2022, or, or in, in, yeah, in 2022, last year, 728,589 people heard the gospel through the IMB. There were 178,000 and 178 new believers. 21,231 new churches were formed, 102,417 baptisms. Those are great numbers. We think about lostness in our world through the cooperative program and through your giving, the IMB can reach the nations with the gospel and lives can be saved and changed. Don and Pam Lynch, they serve in Belgium and they, what they do is they fire up a generator and um, a um, espresso machine and they serve coffee. And these missionaries are ready to listen to others as they um, give them coffee. And the Lynches and their team members have a chance to connect with people, start conversations and open doors to the gospel. It's this great opportunity that they have. And in addition to their regular coffee ministry... The Lynches hosted volunteer teams in this, this summer during Belgium's Ghent Festival, one of Europe's most popular cultural events. And their volunteers engaged with visitors of the fest, uh, festival, offered a listening ear, prayed for them, and got to share the gospel with many who were there. Um, as it says in the prayer guide t today, Don and Pam Lynch, uh, they serve among Europeans who are now just 1% evangelical Christian. Despite such a rich faith history, and they answer rising depression and suicide rates with the only hope of Jesus Christ. So we want to pray for them. We also highlight another church in our, uh, in our state convention. Today we're praying for First Baptist Church of Williams with Pastor Joe Kelly, um, where Steve and Melissa uh, spend some of their time there. If you haven't met them, Melissa hosted our um, uh, um, uh, women's Food Fellowship, so we're grateful for you guys. Um, but FBC Williams, uh, they are seeking to plant a church in Grand Canyon Junction, 
They're also uh, seeking to plant a Spanish language church in Williams. And one of uh, Joe's prayer requests was that just the Lord would send them a family to start a Spanish speaking church in, in a home. And so grateful for that ministry, grateful for that church and their heart to reach uh, others for Christ through church planting. So we're going to pray for the Lynches and pray for First Baptist Church Williams. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you. Lord, we are grateful for the fact that we as Southern Baptists can partner with other Southern Baptist churches to give what may be a small offering out of our pocket but that you use that together with the other 40,000 churches of the Southern Baptist Convention to make Christ known to the nations. We th we're thankful for the missionaries who go, who give of their lives to reach the unreached. Lord, we lift up Don and Pam Lynch. Uh, we pray for their regular coffee cart ministry that they have. A simple way to engage lost people for Christ. Lord, we pray that through their ministry, that lives would be changed by the gospel. And Lord, we lift up our own Joe Kelly to you here in the state of Arizona at First Baptist Church Williams. Lord, we pray for their efforts at church planting. Lord, we pray that through planting these churches, the gospel would be proclaimed and souls would be saved. God, we specifically pray for this desire for a Spanish language congregation there in Williams. God, would you send somebody to them and call somebody out to engage in that ministry. And we thank you, Lord, that your gospel spreads here in our state and around the globe, that you allow us to be a small part of that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Isaiah chapter 7. We'll get there in just a moment. But Christmas is a season of waiting and of expectation. Kids know all too well the excitement and anticipation of Christmas morning. I love this season from looking at Christmas lights to Christmas parties to ugly Christmas sweaters and especially the songs of the Incarnation. It is a season we wait for all year. Now some of you don't wait as long. Some of you have had your Christmas tree up since the 4th of July. Nevertheless, whether you are an early celebrator or you celebrate Christmas when you're supposed to, which is after Thanksgiving, anticipation and eager expectation for December 25th is something we long for all year long. The Bible is filled with anticipation and expectation for the promised Messiah ever since the beginning. When Adam and Eve plunged the human race into sinfulness through their one act of disobedience, God promised through their curses that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent in Genesis 3.15. Anticipation would build. Expectation for the snake crusher to come would fill the people of God. Adam and Eve then to try, tried to cover their own bodies of shame when God killed the first animal. The first sacrifice to cover the shame of Adam and Eve pointing to the greater sacrifice for sin once for all. 
anticipation and expectation continues to build. Fast forward a little bit. God would make a covenant with a man named Abram. He would change his name to Abraham, who would be a father to many nations. And then he says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Anticipation and expectation for the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, in whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. As Abraham's grandson Jacob was near death and he blessed his sons, he said concerning his son Judah, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Anticipation and expectation for the one who would rule from the tribe of Judah. In Exodus, the people of God became enslaved to Egypt. But God would give them a sign to observe where a lamb without blemish was to be sacrificed and the blood of the lamb was to be put on the doorpost. And during the final plague, the firstborn sons inside the homes that were covered with the blood of the lamb would be saved, pointing forward to the true lamb of God whose blood would save his people. The waiting continues. The anticipation builds. The people are delivered. They wander in the wilderness, and eventually they're given King David, a man after God's own heart to rule and reign over God's people. And God promises David, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you. I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The seed of the woman, the offspring of Abraham, the one who holds the scepter of Judah, the one who would sit on David's throne forever. The anticipation builds. History is moving towards a climax. The Israelites sang about the one who would come in their book of hymns that we have in the book of Psalms. Psalms 2.6 says that God, God says, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Verse 12 says, do homage to the sun, that he not become angry and you perish in the way. Psalm 110 speaks of one who will sit at the right hand of the father, who holds the strong scepter of Zion, a king who is also priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Even in their songs, they anticipated the one who would come. The one who is promised about is the stem from Jesse in Isaiah chapter 11. He is the righteous branch of David in Jeremiah 23. He is a shepherd from the line of David in Ezekiel 34. This one is the son of man in Daniel 7 to whom was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples and all the nations, men of every language, might serve him. He is foreshadowed by Hosea as the bridegroom. He is foreshadowed by Jonah who was in the belly of the whale for three days. The one who prophesied would be a ruler in Israel and come from Bethlehem in Micah 5.2. He is the signet ring of Zerubbabel in Haggai. He is priest and king in Zechariah 6 and he is the one who will be pierced in Zechariah 12.10. Expectation and anticipation builds among the people of God as history unfolds for this one who would come as the seed of the woman, the offspring of David, the one who holds the scepter of Judah, the one who is a stem of Jesse, David's descendant who will be priest and king forever. And then there are 400 years of silence. Has God forgotten his promise? 
when would this one come? And then on a very normal night in a small town in Bethlehem, to a very ordinary woman married to an ordinary man, gave birth in a smelly, stinky animal stall to a baby. The waiting and anticipation was over. The Messiah had been born, but it was such a humble birth that the ones to whom all of these promises and prophecies were given, they completely missed it. As we think about the waiting and anticipation of God's people through the ages, waiting on the promised one who would eventually put an end to the serpent and his schemes, we look to the book of Isaiah where many of these prophecies come from. And as we wait with anticipation for the joy that Christmas brings. Before we dive into Isaiah 7, Christmas is supposed to be a time of joy and happiness. Fun festivities, the smell of delicious treats, the joy of giving and receiving of gifts, precious time with the ones you love. But maybe this year Christmas hits you a little differently. For some, maybe Christmas is filled with brokenness, despair, hopelessness. Maybe you're battling an illness that leaves you uncertain and seemingly hopeless. Maybe relationship problems lead you to despair. Maybe a tragedy has struck that leaves you wondering, where is God? And you wonder, is there any hope at all? Maybe this Christmas, it seems pretty hopeless. The fact is, there's probably some truth to that for all of us as we live in a broken world. And where is hope in the midst of such hopelessness? And it's to Isaiah 7 we now turn. It says, now it came about in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Aram, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not conquer it. When it was reported to the house of David, saying, The Arameans have camped in Ephraim, his heart and the hearts of the people shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz. You were in your son, Shir Jashub, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. And say to him, Take care and be calm. Have no fear and do not be faint-hearted because of these two stubs of smoldering firebrands on account of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the sons of Ramalia. Because Aram with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has planned evil against you, saying, Let us go against Judah and terrorize it and make for ourselves a breach in its walls and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not come to pass. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Razan. Now within another 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered so that it will no longer be a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you will not believe, you surely shall not last. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz says, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, 
a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. King Ahaz is in a hopeless situation, and he is filled with fear. Now, to get a little bit of a background to this passage, Assyria was the world power at that time. Their goal was world dominance, and they ate smaller nations like a snack. In 2 Kings 15, we have people fighting for the throne. This guy wants to be king, so he kills that guy. He becomes king. Well, this guy wants to be king, so he kills that guy. That guy becomes king. That makes a lot of chapters very short. That's what's happening. And then a guy named Menahem killed a guy to become king. And he reigned for 10 years, and he was an evil king. There wasn't much that wasn't evil during this time. And Assyria was coming against Israel, and then Menahem paid off Israel a thousand talents of silver, and essentially for Assyria to spare them. And under his reign, he took Israel's money, taxed the wealthy, and paid the king of Assyria. Now Menahem's son became king after him, but Pekah wanted to become king, so he killed off that guy and became king. Now, he was tired of this alliance with Assyria, so he stopped sending Israel's money to another country. Instead, Israel formed an alliance with Razan, the king of Aram, and they came against Judah. Now, Ahaz was a wicked king. He became the king of Judah. He even sacrificed his son and burned him with fire, sacrificing him to the Baals, the false gods of pagan nations. Now, 2 Chronicles 28 and 2 Kings 16 describe the war that Israel and Aram were waging against Ahaz and the people of Judah. Pekah and Razan had had some success, but they could not completely overtake the people. But they were closing in. And as they're closing in, and as many of the, the people of Judah have already lost their lives, Judah realizes he's in a pickle. He's in a situation these two kings are knocking at his front door. They've already lost men, and they are afraid. They are trembling with fear, as it says here in verse 2. It says, the, His heart and the hearts of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. As we look at this hopeless situation of Ahaz, I want us to answer, how can we have hope in the midst of hopelessness. As we look at this prophecy of a birth in its original context. What, when life seems hopeless. When you are crippled by fear, worry, and anxiety. What are you trusting in? And number one, in the midst of such hopelessness. We must not fear, but we must trust God's word. Ahaz and the people of Judah are in a seemingly hopeless situation. These two nations, Aram and Israel, which is the northern kingdom, they've joined forces against them. Now, this doesn't tell you how bad it is right now that Israel is divided, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Judah. They're against one another. The people of Judah, their hearts are shaking like the trees shake in the wind. 
fear has set into their hearts. They don't see how this will end well. They've already lost men. They're outnumbered and their backs are against the wall. So God's word comes to Ahaz through the mouth of the prophet Isaiah. And it's interesting that Isaiah's son is said to go with him, Shir Jashub. Isaiah's name, name means the Lord saves, and his son's name means a remnant shall return. Now this was before Israel was exiled to Assyria and before Judah was exiled into Babylon. But their names here are somewhat prophetic. The Lord will save a remnant of his people. He comes to Ahaz and he says, take care and be calm. Have no fear and do not be faint-hearted because of these two stubs of smoldering firebrands on account of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Ramalia. He calls these two kings smoldering firebrands. And it's essentially the pieces of wood that are being burnt off and are basically only smoking at this point. They're burnt. They are about to be put out. It's like when you have a bonfire. And, and you know, and I, I've, I've had fires before, roasting s'mores, and you're, 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 you're burning a log, and then you, you, you start poking that log, and the, the, the pieces of the wood fall off, and they're really only embers at this point. They're about to go out. Only a flicker remains. Judgment would come upon these two nations, is what Isaiah is saying. The word of God comes in the midst of their fear, and he says, be calm. Now, the word calm is to be peaceful or quiet. Quiet is an interesting to counsel when two nations are trying to attack you. But that's what God's word does. It brings comfort and peace in the midst of troubling situations. And the prophet of God here speaking on behalf of God saying, be calm, that these guys are nothing, then God's word should quiet the soul of King Ahaz. And God's word gives us comfort and hope when all seems hopeless. In commenting on Hebrews 11.1 1, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, a guy by the name of Andrew Davis writes in his book, An Infinite Journey, Growing in Christ's Likeness. He says, the assurance of things hoped for is a settled confidence that God will bring about all the good things he has promised us in Christ. He writes, faith feeds a forward-looking disposition. It causes a Christian to be happy, strong, and confident no matter what earthly circumstances are going on. Your situation, I'm sure, is not exactly like Ahaz here. You don't have enemies coming after you, at least I don't think that you do. But maybe a medical diagnosis has you fearful. Maybe your finances have you concerned and hopeless. Maybe relationships, either your marriage or a friendship, is strained and all seems lost. There is hope. God's word gives comfort and hope to the hopeless. God's word is our confidence when all seems to be going astray. Even as your life seems to spiral out of control, God's word comforts us in knowing that God is upholding and sustaining all things by the word of his power. When life seems hopeless, we can go to God's word. And his word is what calms the fearful soul and gives hope to the hopeless. 
Maybe that looming medical diagnosis has you fearful. Well, you can read in Romans 8, 28 that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Well, maybe it's financial stress. And you read Romans 8, 32, that he who did not spare his own son will freely give us all things. Maybe it's worry and anxiety about your future. Well, Matthew 6 tells us not to worry, but that God feeds the grass, uh, feeds the birds of the air and clothes the grass of the, fe- uh, of the field. Are you not more than they? God's word gives us hope in the midst of hopelessness. And number two, in the midst of hopelessness, we must not despair, but trust in God's promises. When we look at our text here, we see exactly what they want and what they're trying to do. In verse 5, it says, Because Aram with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has planned evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrorize it and make for ourselves a breach in its walls and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Well, we see their plan here. They want to set up their own king. I believe Rezin wants to set up a king so he can have some control over them. But the Lord says it will not come to pass. Ahaz needs to trust God. God says their plans will not succeed. Now, Tabeel is a Syrian. He's apparently the son of Tabeel is merely a tool by Rezin to strip the throne thrown away from Ahaz and set up a king that he could control. Now Ahaz, who is a descendant of David, needs to remember God's promise to his ancestor. And God promised to David in 2 Samuel 7, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. God has promised to David that there will not be a man, that David will not lack a man to sit on his throne. And God is telling Ahaz, like, look, don't be afraid. I know they're coming to set up a new king, but Ahaz, I promised David that he will have somebody from his line on the throne forever. This is not going to happen. I am faithful to my promises. Now, it's no secret that Home Alone and Home Alone 2 are my favorite Christmas movies. I watch them all year long, even not at Christmas. And one of the scenes in Home Alone 2, uh, Kevin McAllister's there with a scary bird lady. And they're in, the, they're in like an attic at a symphony hall. And they're having a conversation and Kevin's about to leave and and uh, this woman says, you know, people, have, people just would rather they not see me. They, they just walk by me. They'd rather I not be a part of their town. And Kevin says, I won't forget you. And she says, don't make promises you can't keep. Because this lady in the movie is all too familiar with broken promises. Well, the movie unfolds. Kevin booby traps his uncle's home in New York and there's a lot of terror to the sticky bandits and as the movie ends he's opening presents and then he remembers the lady 
And he remembers that he had two turtle doves given by the guy at the toy store. And he walks out and surprisingly on Christmas Day in the middle of a park, he finds this woman there. What are the odds of that happening, right? And he gives her a turtle dove and he says, I promise I won't forget you. I have something to remember you by. Like the bird lady in Home Alone, we too are familiar with broken promises. All around us, people promise things and they falter. But God is faithful to his promises. In this Advent season, as we look at all the promises, all the prophecies, all the signs that point to Christ, God has been faithful to his promises. Jesus has come and he's coming again. In 2 Peter 3, Peter records that in the last days people will mock, saying, where is the promise of his coming? But Peter says, the Lord is not bound by time, and that to the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. And then he says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, not willing that any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Church, there are days when I wish the Lord would return immediately. There are days that I wish, Lord, come now into this brokenness. You know, if Jesus died in his 30s, as it is supposed, given historical record, we're closing in on two millennia with no return of Christ. 2,000 years it is not surprising that some might ask, where is the promise of his coming? Church, the triune God, faithful, Father, Son, and Spirit has been faithful to his promises. His faithfulness to his promises in the past is reason to trust in his promises for the future. As much as I'd like Christ to return now, it says the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness. Because he's not willing that any to perish, for, but for all to come to repentance. The reason he has not come back yet is there are still people who need to hear the gospel, repent of sin, and be saved. We're waiting. I don't know how long we have to wait. When Isaiah heard this prophecy that he's going to hear in just a moment, he had to wait 700 years for that to happen. But when life seems hopeless, we can trust in the promises of God. He may not work exactly how we would like him to on our timetable, but God's promises are true, and he is faithful to his promises. Now, God hasn't promised to get us out of every circumstance. God hasn't promised healing from cancer. God hasn't promised that we won't get fired from that job. God hasn't promised a life of ease and comfort, but he has promised his son, Jesus Christ. He has promised salvation from sin, and he has promised that one day this world of suffering and brokenness will be replaced with a new heaven and a new earth. Even in our seemingly hopeless circumstances, may we trust in a God who is faithful to keep his promises. In this call to not fear, to Ahaz, Isaiah comes to him at the end of verse 9. He says, if you will not believe, you surely shall not last. 
If you don't trust in my promises, if you don't trust in my plan, if you don't trust in what I'm doing, it is going to end badly for you. And that's actually exactly what happens. We're going to see, uh, we see later on that, that God is going to give him something very clear. Hey, trust in this. But instead, Ahaz does not trust in God. Instead, he actually trusts in Assyria to come against Israel and Aram. And of course, Assyria is glad to do it because they just want to conquer all the nations. And they end up causing Judah to be enslaved to them. It ended badly for Judah. But when we don't trust the Lord, it does not end well. We must trust in his promises. Number three, in the midst of hopelessness, we must not falter in faith, but we must trust in God's purpose. As Ahaz is still fearful, God asked Ahaz to ask for a sign. Ahaz asked God, ask me for a sign to to show that I'm going to be true to my word and that this is not going to end badly for you. Make, make your request as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. That's a pretty bold, that leaves it pretty wide open of what Ahaz could ask for. But Ahaz, seemingly pious, says, oh, I can't, I can't test the Lord. I, I'm not, I can't ask for a sign. I'm not going to test the Lord. It seems pious, but it actually shows his unbelief that he's not trusting the Lord. Now, we've been studying in Matthew in Sunday school, and many of the Pharisees would ask for a sign, right? We've seen that. But they would get rebuked for it, because that's because Jesus had already done multiple signs, and they didn't believe. Hey, God, we we want you to, Jesus, do a sign for us. Man, where where have you been at? (laughs) I've done so much already. You don't don't want a sign. Your hearts are hard. You don't want to believe. But here is something very different. God is telling him to ask. Well, Ahaz refuses to ask because it's a refusal to trust in God. So God says, hey, I'm going to give you the sign anyway. And we all know what the sign is. We've read this verse a thousand times. Verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, A virgin will be with child and bear son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings kings you dread will be forsaken. Now, as we read this, it's possible there's an immediate fulfillment of this. And and we look at chapter 8. And there is a baby that's born. Isaiah 8, verse 3. Isaiah says, So I approached the prophetess, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. Then the Lord said to me, Name him Mahar Shalahashbaz. Aren't you glad that's not the Savior's name? Make for some interesting Christmas songs. For before the boy knows how to cry out, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Syria. It would appear that there's an immediate fulfillment in this son who is born in Isaiah chapter 8, based on what we see in verses 15 and 16. But we know 
all too well that the ultimate fulfillment of this is Jesus Christ. We know that from Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, where, 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 well, and, and 22 and 23, where Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant. It's not his child. Yeah, that's a little uh, scandalous. So he's, he's, a, he's a good man. He's going to put her away quietly. He's not going to cause a big scene because otherwise she'd likely be stoned. And so he has this plan to put her away quietly, but thankfully an angel intervenes. And he says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew 1, 22 and 23 says, Now all of this took, took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So we know from Scripture that this prophecy, this word of this virgin who would bear a son is Mary, and the one who is born is Jesus Christ. We certainly know that the birth of Christ gives hope for us. We have salvation from sin, but what I want us to think about in this particular context is exactly how this long-away prophecy of the birth of a Savior, long after King Ahaz is dead and gone, how does this somehow give hope to him now in his moment of suffering? Because when Jesus is born, it is 700 years after this prophecy is given. So how in the world does this announcement of the birth of Christ give hope to Ahaz, who has two kings about to overtake him? Turn to Matthew chapter 1. This is where I get excited. Matthew chapter 1. We know this is the genealogy of Jesus. Now a lot of times we get bored with genealogies. We skip over them. Okay, all right, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. All right, let's move on. Okay, Jesus is born in a stable. Fantastic. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. <coughs> Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon the, was the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. And Joram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Don't miss this. Jotham was the father of who? Ahaz. 
And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, we skip down in the genealogy. We get down to verse 16 through this line. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. It's coming to Ahaz. Ahaz, trust me. There is going to be one who is born who will come from your line. I am going to use you, Ahaz, to bring about the birth of the Messiah. You can't die here. Your life is not going to end in this moment. These kings will not have victory over you because I am doing something greater than your little situation. I've got a plan in place, and Ahaz, you're a part of that. Now, why did God not unfold that to him? He, he could have told all of that to Ahaz. Okay, Ahaz, just calm down. 700 years from now, the child's going to be born. You're going to be one of the descendants, so don't worry. Why did he not unfold all of that? Sometimes I wish God would kind of unfold things to me. The situations that I'm in, the things that you, and you maybe you're the same way, the situations that you're dealing with. I mean, you want to know how it's going to play out. Maybe so you can plan a little bit better so you can know what's going on. Maybe to give you peace of mind. But he doesn't do that. Why? Because he wants us to trust. He wants us to trust. When we look at the hall of faith, Again, the writer of Hebrews in 11.1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We have this hall of faith of people who trusted in and hoped for something that they would never get to see. In the final verse of Hebrews, it says, In these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God has provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. When we look at the hall of faith, we see men like Noah and Abraham and Moses and all of these men and women that we see in Hebrews 11. They had confident assurance that the one in whom was their hope, the one in whom they longed for, would one day come and restore what was broken by sin. They all died before the Messiah was born. And it says God provided something better for us. We're on the other side of history. And we know that the Messiah has come. And that he has died. And that he has rose again. And ascended to the right hand of God. God's promises and his purpose. Going all the way back to Genesis 3.15. And really that extends before the foundation of the world. As he is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. All of these things have been fulfilled. Trust in my purpose, he says. All of these promises made to Adam and Noah and Abraham and David and Moses, they've been fulfilled in Jesus. The things that they longed for and hoped in, we know, have become a reality. And God is still advancing his kingdom. We see this world and it's still broken by sin and Jesus is coming again. But we must trust in the plan and purposes of God. That our situations, our circumstances that we find ourselves in, God is doing something much bigger 
than you in your little circle and your situation. You get a cancer diagnosis, it's terminal. Your cancer may lead a doctor to Christ. You get fired from that job. Coworker comes to you and says, man, how, how are you going to make it? You know, you're, you're, you just lost your job. You're, your wife's not working. You, you, don't, you just lost your income. How, how's, how's this going to work? Man, I'm not exactly sure, but man, I, I know where my hope is in. My trust is in the Lord. And he who did not spare his own son will freely give us all things. My hope is in the Lord even in this. And God can use that to witness to that now former coworker. Even in your death, you die, maybe tragically, but your organs are donated and may sustain the life for one who will lead thousands to Christ. We never know. We never know what, what God's doing in our circumstances, but I can tell you that God is working all things, even now, according to the counsel of his will, to bring about his purpose, the kingdom of God would come. And Jesus is coming again. Trust in his purpose. It's the most wonderful time of the year. While Christmas is a time of merriment and joy, from happy songs like jingle bells to the sweet smells of freshly baked Christmas cookies in the oven, wonderful times with family and friends, Christmas this year may not be the most wonderful time of the year for you. Perhaps the loss of a loved one has you lonely. Perhaps a tragedy has caused a deep sadness in your soul. Perhaps a financial crisis has led to worry and anxiety. Where is your trust? Maybe you're trusting in yourself. Maybe you're, you aren't in a crisis right now and life is great and you don't see any reason for God in your life at all. Well, listen, if everything and everyone you love is stripped away from you, where is your hope in that moment? What do you cling to when life spirals out of order and beyond your control? Maybe you're trusting in yourself. Maybe you're trusting in relationships. Ahaz certainly trusted in the relationship with, king, with the king of Assyria, and it backfired. People will break promises, but God never fails. Many in our world trust in substances. If I can't make the problem go away, then maybe I can just numb the pain. And dear believer and dear friends, when life seems hopeless, trust in God. Trust in his word, trust in his promises, and trust that his plan and purpose is much larger than you and your circumstances. And that God is using you and your situation to bring about the advancement of his kingdom. What are you trusting in? Maybe you're an unbeliever here. You've never trusted in God for salvation. Life is broken. All the things that you've been trusting in, they're not working. You know they're not working. Only Christ can redeem what is broken. And only Christ can give hope in the midst of hopelessness. Let's pray together. Father God, as we look in this text, 
a man who was in a hopeless situation, and that which was to give him comfort from his fear. So this prophecy of the birth of Christ, that God was going to use him to bring about the Messiah. God, give us hope this Christmas, even in the midst of hopeless situations, even in the midst of loneliness, despair, stress, anxiety, worry, whatever it is that we're facing, help us to look at the promises that were fulfilled in Christ and allow us to trust in the promise of his return where he will make all things new. And in the waiting, will you use us to proclaim your gospel to the nations so that many can be saved and place their faith in the one who was born to save. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen.